truth, honor, loyalty, character. Welcome to the Long Green Line podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Arnold, and the director of the Long Green Line movie. Today, we're releasing Interview 3 with Coach Newton in its raw form. This interview was recorded in Goodyear, Arizona, when Coach Newton would take his summer break from Chicago. Coach Newton recounts his earliest days at York as a new teacher and coach and how he grew this work ethic and the program into a 50-year-long career. Coach Newton talks about how the times have changed over the span of his 50-year career. He also discusses how he has adapted with those changes. He's a bit nostalgic for what he calls simpler times and discusses challenges facing students and coaches in today's world. He talks about the challenges that he faced along the way, and he also gets nostalgic for what he calls simpler times. And he discusses the current challenges facing student-coach relationships. Please enjoy this Coach Joe Newton Raw interview. Wondering about your earliest days of coaching. What it was like that for your absolute first day as a coach. Well, I remember my very first day at York. I was wondering how long I could survive because that was back when you had the, the guys with the black leather jackets and so on and so forth. And I, I was a little apprehensive that the environment wasn't that that good. But I survived, and now it's fifty years later, and I'm still there. So it wasn't as bad as I thought. Do you remember any of the feelings the that you had that first? During your first kind of your first days, your first day of coaching. Yeah, you're you're nervous. I mean, you're new to the spot. I was very young, just a few years older than the students. So early on, I didn't have a lot of security. I didn't feel that wanted. I didn't feel that knowledgeable. I didn't know if I was ready for that. But I, had, I was four years as an assistant coach, and that was good training. I didn't have to have all the responsibilities that I had guy for four years. And so I kind of grew into it. And as time went on, my ego and my self-image got bigger and better and learned a lot of things, how to relate to the students and the athletes. And So it just kind of grew from nothing to something. What, what advice do you have to other coaches starting out for their first day on the job? Well, you got to be tough, and you got to hang in there, and you got to keep a good attitude, and and you got to expect the best, and then you got to get your confidence up, just like your athletes have to get their confidence up. And once you get your confidence up and start establishing rapport with your students and your athletes, it becomes very nice. <clears throat> and what does it take to get that confidence to where it needs to be? Well, you, you know the kids; they don't really care. I tell young coaches, as kids don't really care how much you know until they find out how much you care. And then when they find out that you care, then they, they'll listen to what you know. So some way with your personality, you have to let the kids know that you care about them. And once you care about them and they buy into the program, then it's like heaven. And my last 25 years at York have been like heaven. It's just been a wonderful relationship there. Talking to Joe V. Hill yesterday, he mentioned the the two goddesses that dominate young people's minds, the goddess of wisdom and the goddess of material. Have you met these goddesses and had any conflict with them? Well, yeah, society now is mainly concerned with material things. 
most homes, both parents are working. Who's home taking care of the kids? It's They want things. They want material things. And See, I was lucky. I was an only child, and my mother never worked. When I came home from school, she was always there. When I came home for lunch, she was always there. And society's different now. And I don't see the thing for wisdom as much as maybe Joe does. He's in a collegiate level and all where people are pretty well along at what they want to be. But in high school, 90% of the kids you ask, what do you want to be? They say, I don't know. And there's a lot of distraction in the building and all. It's hard to learn sometimes in this day and age. Kids don't want to learn. You can't teach them anything. So I don't see that side of it, really. But I see the material things and... It's, you know, everybody wants to keep up with the Joneses. And the more your money you get, the more you want. The more you want, the more you want. It's just a never-ending avalanche. So I get lucky when I find some kids that want to learn, buy into my program, want to listen. And we're teaching a lot of values about life that have nothing to do with running. And so I feel like I'm trying to do my part in changing the way society is. But you're like a a mountain facing a, a molehill, my face in a mountain. But one day at a time, if I can change one life, then it's very worth my time. And what are your thoughts on high school events like Columbine and like that recent one in Minnesota? Well, it's disturbing. You know, I don't want to get in any trouble by anything I say. In this day and age, everybody wants to sue you and all that, but... It's very disturbing. And, uh, you know, how do kids get like that? I mean, I could I grew up with parents that made me mind. And, geez, if I came in five minutes late, I got a whack. And uh, my father told me when I was 13, I was going to high school. I'll never forget this. He said, son, if you get in trouble at the high school, when you get home, you're going to be in twice as much trouble. Trust me. Well, nowadays, uh, parents are... Teacher's always wrong. The school's always wrong. My son, my daughter is wonderful. They can't do any wrong. And so that's how those things develop. When young people know there's no consequence for all their life, there's no consequence. Parents are sticking up from right or wrong, and they're not going to get any penalty. They do things that your father and I would never do because we were brought up the right way with respect and Treat other people like you want to be treated. And then my father also told me, my word is my bond. I said, what does that mean, Dad? He says, when you tell somebody you're going to do something, you better goddamn do it. Well, what do we got now? You got to sign a contract. As soon as he has a good year, he wants to renegotiate the contract. You know, you've got to have it in writing. You can't just shake hands anymore. So it's a different world. And But I'm fortunate at York that I find enough young guys that really want to buy into the program. They want to be good citizens. They want to study, like Joe Veal says. My guy McNamara this year, the national champs, going to Michigan on a full ride. He's a 3.5 out of 4. So he's not a great runner, but he's a good student, and he's got a good head in his shoulders, and he knows right from wrong. And I, I just want kids to know right from wrong. And two words that I really focus on are loyalty and trust. I mean, if you're loyal to a program, then you're really loyal to the coach and the school and the other guys on the team. And when you have that loyalty and that trust, you can do things that other schools can't because they don't have that chemistry that kids really care about the program. They're in it for themselves. And 
Now here's McNamara that was in it for the team and he ends up getting a, that's probably worth $40,000 a year. And if he goes there five years, that's $200,000. That's a pretty good material award, but he worked for it. He didn't get it for nothing. See, that's a problem with parents that I see nowadays. I don't want to get in trouble, but nowadays everybody thinks they're entitled to something and they don't have to work for it. They deserve it. And we got the entitlement for senior citizens. We got entitlement for this group and that group. And I was taught that when you get something, you got to earn it. You don't get anything in life for nothing. But when you're brought up getting everything for nothing, because parents say, well, I don't want my kid, I want to own it better for my kid than I had it. Well, in my family, when I grew up, we never had a family car until I was a sophomore in college. I walked everywhere. I rode my bike. My father walked. I rode a streetcar to work. So we worked for everything that we got, and we weren't entitled to anything. We had to earn it. We never got anything for nothing. We, whatever we got, we paid for. Nowadays, people get everything for nothing, and there's no responsibility. There's you got to be responsible for your actions. I would have never thought when I was in high school doing some of the things the way these kids speak to adults. I mean, the language that they use, it's, it's a different world. But I love my job, being around those kids and trying to turn them in the right direction. And when you turn them in the right direction, you see their life change. You know, just like you said to me about that kid that came with you that day, and I said a few things to him about what's your goals and get a haircut. And now you say he's changed his ways. So there is, there is hope if you're willing to stay in there and keep plugging. Do you consider yourself old school? Definitely old school. You know, I know right from wrong. I know if I do something wrong, I got to pay the consequence. I know that it takes years to build trust and you can blow it in 15 seconds with a dumb decision. I grew up with my mother and father, my grandma saying, you know, Jody, you got to treat others as you want to be, the golden rule. I'm always talking to my team about the golden rule. You got to treat people like you want to be treated. And People don't do that anymore. It's every man for himself. How much can you get and grab and who can you run over and who can you, whose job can you get? And it's not that old school world where people just worked hard, didn't make much money. And you know, like we didn't have a lot of money, but we always had a meal. My mother was always there. My father was always working. And we lived in a middle-class neighborhood, but we did, I didn't know I was poor. I mean, I just, that was life. All my friends were like that. And uh, so, yeah, it's much, it was a much slower world. It was a much more thoughtful world. It was a kinder world. So, yeah, I'm old school, and I expect my athletes to follow my rules. I say, you got to adjust to me. I'm not going to adjust to you at my age. And everything I'm teaching you is good values, eternal verities, truth, honor, loyalty, courage. That never changes. No matter how much you and society changes, eternal verities are always there. And I'm an old-fashioned eternal verities guy that, you're in this program, that's the way it's going to be. What kind, could, of, what kind of conflicts does an old school coach meet in the new school world? Well, you have to be very careful what you say. Everything nowadays is politically correct. So you have to think before you talk nowadays. You have to worry about lawsuits from left, right, and center. So you kind of learn when to pick your fights and who you're picking them with, and you're very careful along the way, and you make darn sure you got some good friends 
that are on your team, like my entourage, your pa, and all those people that help me. They're all good people. They support me. And so you have to just be careful and don't burn bridges. And that's what I'm trying to say. It doesn't mean you, you're a milk toast, but you can be tough, but you got to be careful. So is there anything that you can't do anymore? Well, yeah, I can't speak out as loudly as I used to. I have to be, as I say, more politically correct. And, and I have to think a lot more about what I'm doing to make sure it's right. And what's wrong with this? What can happen if a consequence of what I do? So I'm more thoughtful. And I've mellowed a lot since I was a young guy. I, I, when I was a young guy, I thought I knew everything about coaching. And as I got older, I learned you got to listen to those kids. That doesn't mean you're going to do what they want all the time, but they're pretty sharp. And they know right away if you're a fraud. If, you, if you're trying to fake that you care for them, they can see through you in an instant. So you got to be sincere. And uh, Abraham Lincoln said in 1862, which I've tried to live my life by since I read that book, he said, whenever I make a decision about anything in life, no matter what the decision is, immediately 50% of the people think I'm right, 50% think I'm wrong. So he said, I make my decision, I follow the course to the end. Because when I was young, I had rabbit ears. I used to bother me when people would say bad things about you, made a stupid decision, he's a lousy coach, da-da-da-da-da. But I thought of Abraham Lincoln, and so when I make my decision, I don't change the course, I follow it to the end. And that's been a pretty good philosophy to live by. Has the new school or the new society enhanced your coaching at all? Well, I, I think kids are a lot, maybe there's a lot more talent out there now than there was when I started. But way back then, kids listened a lot more. Now, kids will listen, but they question you. So you better know what you're doing for what reason or why. They want to know, well, what's this workout good for? In the old days, you'd say run 20 quarters. They'd say, yes, sir, and they'd just go run. Now they want to know what part of the body you're helping and so, yeah, I think I'm a better coach now than I was then because I, I think everything out. I've learned everything. I know that VO2 max stuff from Joe Vio. I know that to a science where when I was young, I thought I knew everything, but I just did it. And luckily, I didn't make too many mistakes and it got better and better and better. Kids are, nowadays, if you can get the right kind of kid that wants to work and listen to you, they're terrific. There's just not as many of those guys around now than there was back in the old days, I think. I think there's less people like that. But when you get the right one, like McNamara, when I had the transfer student from Norway, Marius Bakken, he was a wonderful guy. Donald Sage, you know, they they were good human beings. And that's, I always say that good things happen to good people. And if you're not a good person, what goes around comes around and you'll get yours sooner or later because the good Lord knows you can fake your mother out, your preacher out, your teacher out, but you can't fake that guy out. So you'll get just rewards in life. What you put into it, you'll get out of it. And I'm teaching that to my guys. And I'm proud of them when I see them come back as doctors and lawyers and movie guys and know that I had just a little bit of touch to their life. That's very rewarding. That's worth more than millions of dollars. Because all you do, when you make money, all you want to do is, my wife said to me, you know, when you got money, you got nothing but problems. Everybody wants to get your money. It's better off to just go about your life and get food on the table and love your job. See, I love my job. 
I have a passion for what I do. Most people I know in life hate to go to our job. They hate their job, but that's how they live. They gotta have money and they hate their job. Where I go to York every day, I love it. I can hardly wait to get there. It's my second home. Because I know something good's gonna happen during there. You never know what's gonna happen every day. So every day's different in school. There's a lot of violence around schools nowadays. Just there's the things you talked about. It's my wife used to say, boy, you you gotta wear a hard hat to school every day. And that's getting to the point where that's pretty true. You know, it's there's so many, I don't know what the right word is, kids that are misdirected, that are dysfunctional, that are depressed, are taking drugs for depression. They think there's no way out. And so the guys on my athletic teams I'm dealing with are just wonderful. 200, over 200 guys used to have on the track team, 150, 175 on the cross country team, all pulling the same war to be together, to have fun, to win. It's a great life. How was your life in the Midwest, growing up in the Midwest, living there, working there, different from your life out here? Well, I was young then, and uh, the Midwest had the, we didn't have the radicals that they have out there. You know, like each, they say the West Coast this, the East Coast that. We were just normal blue collar people. I love my life. I never, even though we didn't have any money and didn't have a car, I thought I had a great life. I was riding my bike to the Y every night, running track there at the Y, swimming, playing games with my buddies, going to camp, cutting in the summertime. I love my life. And I knew my folks loved me and I was an only child and I got a lot of tender loving care when I was growing up and I never got in trouble. Never because I was taught right from wrong. And if you do wrong, you're gonna get penalized. And that was good. Maybe at the time I didn't know if it was that good, but I know it was now. And that's, everybody wants to do, have their kids have it easier than they had it. And when you that's why you're good, because you had tough and you had to do things. Now, you try to say, well, I want my kid to have it easier than I do. And then they, it's not good. They have to go through the same things that you went through. Earn everything. Where do people, where are people today going to be learning how to be a good parent? Oh boy, that's a good question. I wish I had the answer. I'd be a multi, multi-millionaire. But I, I would have to answer by saying if they got good parenting, you know, because kids, if their folks are drinkers, usually they're drinkers. If their folks are smokers, usually they're smokers. They don't. Kids don't do what you tell them, they do what you show them. So if you're a good parent and you're not smoking, you're not drinking, you're not chasing, and your parents brought you up with a little discipline, then the chances are you're gonna do that with your kids. Your kids will become what you are. And they watch you and they know everything you could do. And wow, see, and my wife was really tough on our kids. And, I was kind of the softer guy. She was the tough one and they had the mind and if they didn't, they were in trouble. So we never had any major problems with three children, all three. Two of them are teachers. And John is in his own business now of consultant. What's the new word for a personnel director? Human resource. Human resource. <clears throat> and he's, so they're all functioning in society. And none of them smoke. I think Tom doesn't drink at all. Cindy and John might have a cocktail once in a while. So they're, they're good people. 
and they're doing good things and they're making their own way. And my wife and I feel like that was one of our main functions in life is to make those kids okay. Thanks for Steve. So what is life like for you now that you're no longer a parent or a full-time teacher? Well, I got a wonderful wife for 52 years that takes good care of me. And I have this still wonderful job at York High School with it. Going back there for cross country keeps me young when you're around those kids. Then I have the other six months of the year, just come out here and relax and read books and work out in the fitness center, swim a little. I was playing softball, I hurt my back. So life is good. I mean, it's just wonderful. Sometimes, you know, when you, when you get old, you get great knowledge and you got more money and you can't do anything because you're ill or injured or something. When you're young and you got all this go, and you got no money, you can't do anything. So life is almost in reverse. You should have your money when you're young and then don't worry about it when you're old. It's like, you know, I can't do all the things now I used to do. I did want to say one other thing about my job with the kids is at York, we emphasize the team. And in the business world, and in the Asian countries, they all their businesses are structured from the bottom up. So the little guy thinks he's invested in that company and he works hard, doesn't take a day out in America. The CEO is the chief, and the guy down at the bottom doing all the work is the peasant. And so he doesn't feel part of the whole thing. So they change jobs, they move here, they don't they take days off, da-da-da-da-da-da. They don't have a passion for their job. So I, I, I learned this from a guy named Dr. Tom Tutko, who's the greatest sports psychologist in the world from San Jose. He's a Northwestern graduate. I'm a Northwestern graduate. He took a liking to me. And he taught me a word called empowerment, which is a buzzword now in psychology, that when you empower people on a team or in a business, that this is your company, this is your team. So my first statement of the year, every year now for the last 15 years to my guys, this is your team. I'm empowering you to make your team the best team it can be. I can guide you, but you gotta be the guy that's responsible at the end. It's your team. What a difference that's made on my team. Every guy, when we win, thinks he won the meet because that's his team. And I say, we win together, we lose it, we're a team. And when you get out in life, you'll be a winner and you'll have that team spirit. You can invest that in your company and make the company better. Stupid Southwestern thing. What's the matter? I'm trying to get that to look good. Oh. You probably got all this stuff down from all the other times you interviewed me. Yeah. We're going to get you saying it in different ways. Okay. Go back to your uh, high school days. Yeah. How did your high school days differ from a high school student today? Number one, there was hardly any violence in my high school. I went to Parker High School on the south side. Yeah, at that time, we had about 1,700 students. You practically knew everybody in the school. Never felt threatened when I went to school. I was involved in sports. And I still have 30 or 40 guys 60 years later that are palling around from sports, not from class, but from sports. So I was always busy. 
I had a loving family at home. I had all my friends. I was always competing. I was I was in five sports in high school. I got 12 letters, so I was always doing something. I never had, you know, time to be screwing around. And I was a straight-A student also because my father also mentioned the fact that you better pay attention to your classwork. And, geez, if I came home with a B, probably wouldn't talk to me for a week. So I ended up, I finished fifth in my class of, I think we had like about 300 in my class. And I was fifth in rank in my class when I graduated. And so I had a wonderful life. I just thought I was in heaven. Then I went to Northwestern. It was close to home. I could come home on the weekend, do my laundry. My mother do my laundry. And I love school. I love to go to class. I love to learn. And I loved athletics. So I guess I could say I was a lucky guy. And I also knew when I was like seven years old that I wanted to be a coach. People nowadays, I say, I ask the high school, what do you want to be? I don't know. They're sophomores at college. What are you taking? Well, I'm just a little bit. I don't know what I want to do yet. I knew when I was seven years old. I've missed one day of school for illness at York High School in 50 years. One day. Why is that? Because I have a passion for my job. I like to go there. I don't want anybody else interacting with my team. That's my team. It's their team, but it's my team in addition. So my life has been wonderful. I got no complaints. I don't have to look back and say I should have or would have and I could have, but I didn't. I I used all the ability that I had. I didn't have a lot of ability, but I did the best I could with what I got when I had to do it. So is a, what's the, what kind of challenges did you have as a high school student as compared to what they would have today? Well, Back then, the challenges weren't that high. Now there's so much money involved in professional sport that really, in my opinion, money has ruined the whole game. I mean, you got all these guys doing all these things and steroids and da-da-da-da-da. We basically, in my era, played the game because we loved the game of sport. I can remember Mickey Mantle one year and Colonel Rupert, he came in, he was going to ask for a $5,000 raise because he hit like 47 homers 140 runs batted in, hit about 325. And Rupert said to him, I'm going to give you a $5,000 cut because we didn't have good fan base this year. And, I mean, a guy now, like what Mickey Mantle was hitting, would make 25, 30 million per year. So there wasn't that pressure on you to be, you know, you had to be, be the best in the world. We just had fun playing the game and being with our teammates having winning, losing together, and just having fun. Uh, most of the fun is out of the game now. You know, same thing in high school. Everybody's got to get straight A's because, oh, my boy's got to get a scholarship. My daughter's got to – there's no fun anymore. It's and Plus, it's hard on kids in high school now when you're a good student. All the other kids that don't want to learn call them a nerd. And, you know, you're trying to be good in your class. Back then – you know, nobody bothered. If you want to be a good student, fine. If you didn't, they did their thing, you did. But now you're kind of ostracized when you want to be a good academic student. It's hard on those kids. And there's so much pressure to get a college scholarship, go to college, and get a pro scholarship. I just read an article the other day. There's, I don't know what I said, like, let's say 600,000 professional athletes in all sports. Only about 1% of people get into that. You know, we got, what, 250 million people in America and 600, 600, whatever it was, 600, I don't forget, but 1% are ever going to play in a pros in any sport. 
So you better get an education, but kids don't listen to that. They all think they're going to make the NBA and then they go out in the street and they're not prepared for life. And then we got all this crime and everything going on. So no, I, you know, Tom Brokaw wrote that book, The Greatest Generation. That was my generation. I mean, it was a wonderful life. We never locked our car. We never locked our house overnight because your neighbors were your neighbors. You could walk any place. Jesus, now you go out at night, you better have three dogs and a bodyguard and an AK-47 on you to make it. So it's different, very different. Where's the next Joe Newton going to come from? Well, we got one at, Char at York, Charlie Kern. He's one, but there. You got to have a guy that's willing to work hard. You got a guy that has a goal, and you got to have a guy that's got a passion for his job. And you got to have a guy that knows how to. I call it work the room. You know how to get on with people, and make people feel good about themselves. Make your athletes. You got to care, and there's guys out there like that. Maybe less than in the old days. But salaries are better now for teachers than they were. My first job, I signed up for, I had a wife and 4,700 bucks was my yearly salary. And then pretty soon we had three kids and I think I was moved up to about 6,000. How could we live? I don't know. Now you can't make it on 100,000. It's just times change. So do you think that the next Joe Newton's going to have an understanding of the violence and the dysfunctional families and the absent? families and yeah they got to be like me they got to work and you know try to change society they have to try to change young people and they got to work with them got to care about them and, and a kid if you show some interest in that kid because most of the time they don't get any around the house if both parents are working when are they ever going to get any love so the only place they get any love and that's one of my recruiting tools when i'm recruiting kids i say you know there's only one place in this school that you're going to get tender, loving care every day. And that's if you come out with me in cross country or track every single day that you come there, you'll get a touch of tender, loving care. They come out, they find out that's true. That's where they want to be. And that's what the young coaches have to do. And there's plenty of them coming up, I'm sure. Think they're going to have your sense of humor? Well, I, I, I learned a long time ago that you can't take yourself too seriously. And so, I demean myself a lot of times in front of the kids, make them laugh. And Sam Belfman, Indiana, the coach told me that one time that, that he's been my friend for 40 years, that you, you can't let the kids think you're smarter than they are. He said, every now and then you got to let the kids outsmart you because you're really not smarter than they are. So I, I learned that good lesson from Sam. And so I like to laugh at myself. I like to... Say, if you guys had a good coach, we might have won a few titles and make fun. And, and, and when you keep them laughing, laughter is good for the soul. And you're out there running 20 quarters, it's 110 degrees. You got to say something once in a while to make them laugh. So I'm always seeking ways to make them laugh so they feel good about themselves. But any coach, my advice to you, you don't think you're smarter than any other coach. The secret is outwork every other coach. And that's the secret, not how much you know, you think you know. It took me a long time to learn that. How do, the, how do your athletes respond to your perception of pop culture? Well, they laugh at me. You know, they think I'm an old fogey, <laughs> 20 years behind the times and all, but they tolerate me because they know I care about them. 
But I'm an Archie Bunker, man. Way back, everything's black and white. No screwing around. Boom. Loyalty of friends. Trustworthy. Honorable. Lost words in our society. But they put up with me. Yeah, they, you know, they put their records on. Oh, my God. Oh, I just shudder and they're laughing like, I said, where's Frank Sinatra? Oh, my God. They think that's awful. But they tolerate me. You play up on that? Oh, yeah. I use that all the time. Because, you know, that gives them a little, that empowers them. They're, they're smarter, smarter than the coach. The coach is not all-encompassing. And that makes them feel better. You know, I don't like to. I think the great coaches learned that when you don't care who takes the credit for winning, you're going to win a hell of a lot more than if you're strutting around like you're King Tut and you know it all. So I got my entourage. I give them credit. I give the band credit. I give the cheerleaders credit. I give the mothers and fathers the credit, certain teachers credit. I don't care who gets credit, just so we win. And a lot of times coaches don't want to give anybody credit. They think they're the only ones that know anything, but that's stupid. The last piece of technology that you invested in was the red pen. That's it. Guys come back. I haven't seen them in 40 years. They say, Coach, you still got that red pen? I pull it right out. It's not the same red pen, but I get big, medium, red. And everything I do is in red. So they laugh. You know, I said, I don't know anything about a computer. I don't know about that I dot. I don't know anything. All I got is my red pen. And oh, they think that's sensational. And I don't want to learn all that stuff. I'm too old. I don't need all that. I like to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. When you're on a computer all the time, you don't talk to anybody. We're losing our people skills. Great guys on computers, but they can't get on with anybody in the society. And that's one of my fortes that I can get on with people, I think. And I always try to help people. Anytime a coach calls me, writes me, I always answer the call, write them a letter. And I figure if I make them better, I got to work harder to be better myself. So some other coaches, you call them, they never call you back. They never write to you. That's not my modus operandi. Mine is to share with people, help people. When you help other people, you feel better. People are stepping on you, making all that money. They would never know what I'm talking about. Has anything in the school system changed that has been money driven? Well, I think we're, we have less and less discipline in schools uh, because everybody's afraid of a lawsuit. And so there is less discipline than there used to be. But there's other things that are better. I mean, we've got a lot of great teachers now. We've got so many more things for the kids to be involved in. But that's the big thing that I notice is that there is a lack of tough discipline like the old days because lawyers have kind of come in and Threatened everybody. But York High School is one of the best high schools left in America, I'll tell you that. Do you think that your program could exist in Arizona or California? Or is there well, something I, I, about? I'll guarantee you it couldn't exist the way I have it right now okay. at York. I would have to go back to square one and start all over. And that's why, why do I want to do that? Why do I want to leave? Because, you know, the workouts our guys are doing are just tougher than a cop. But that's because the tradition's there, the history's there, and the championships are there. So if I went into a high school out here and said to these guys, all right, we're running 25 quarters a day and 10 times 880 tomorrow and six times one mile, I'd say they'd all quit. So I couldn't do that. 
I'd have to start way back like 1958 when four times 440 was a big workout for us. Now the guys are running 25. So, oh, it would, York is a special place now because we got this history and we got brothers coming, sisters coming for the girls team that I've got grandchild children coming now that their father and their grandfather ran for me. So it's kind of, it carries on itself. If you were, if, if you, if you think there's something special about Eleanor, Illinois that yeah. couldn't have happened in Tampa, Florida, 50 years ago, I think Tampa, it, Florida, or Houston, Texas, yeah. Elmer's, Seattle, Washington. Elmer's is a special, special town. We got special people there. We got people that really care about that high school. We got people that have really supported me and my years there. And yeah, no, I don't think I could have done it any place in America except right, I, I was at the right place at the right time. And when I first started, there was really good discipline. Kids had the mind, and it was a wonderful place for me to be. I'm just so happy. And a little add that, my high school colors at Parker were Kelly Green and White. Guess what the colors are at York of Elmers? Kelly Green and White. That's one of the reasons I wanted to go there, because I saw their athletes when I was coaching at Waterman. I saw those Kelly Green and White suits. I said, boy, I'd like to be it. God, I'd love to be there. And I came there in 56. In 1946, in a state track meet, Henry Tiedemann from York from York High School ran in a state meet. I ran in a state meet. I had Kelly Green and White. He won the 400 meters. He had Kelly Green and White. I said, 1946, gee, I'd like to coach at that school someday. Ten years later, I'm at York of Elmer. So it was almost like destiny. And I've never looked back. What a great school. What a great time. What a great life. Was it so you wouldn't have to buy any gym socks? <laughs> no, no comment. And I also got a, one last statement. I get my if I if you got to have a special wife when you're a coach because you're coaching all the time. You're working with other people's kids all the time. And I have a very special wife that for 35 years never missed a track meet or cross country. Came every every meet with our children as they grow up. And so you have to be lucky. So I was lucky to go to Elmer's. I was lucky to go to York. I was lucky to have married the right lady. What? Where do you think your coaching talent comes from? Well, I, it comes from just liking sport. That was my whole life when I was growing up at the Y. I was there five days a week just doing sports from the time I was eight or nine on. And so, and I liked participating. I liked the competitive. And now I'm a coach, and my thrill comes from having them compete and win. Even though I can't compete, but I'm training them to compete, and it gives me a feeling of pleasure. So... I'm just doing something that's I love, and not many people are that lucky. They're looking for something, you know, wow, way up there. Mrs. Newton thinks it comes from the good Lord. Well, that's probably too. He, some way or other, he, he got me in the right profession. But you gotta, you gotta love your profession. If you don't love it, you should do something else. Like teachers that hate to come to school, they miss three or four days a month. I got one day off in 50 years. It's just they don't care about their job that much. Any last words? Last words, I, I tell my athletes, if you shoot for the moon and you miss, you still land among the stars. So think big. Thanks for listening to the Long Green Line podcast. Please like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast to help us spread the word about this great work. 
And check out our movie website, longgreenlinemovie.com, for links to streaming the film, to purchase merchandise like hats, DVDs, T-shirts, and so much more. You can also get all the show notes for these podcast episodes. This podcast was produced by Greg Balza with music created by Kyle Whitlin. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Arnold. These podcast interviews are also now shared on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash longgreenline. Check us out on youtube.com slash longgreenline. Check us out on Instagram, run underscore longgreenline. Talk to you next time on the Long Green Line podcast. Have a good one.